There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Jeff Roberts. And this is GM GM from from Decrypt. Okay, Jeff, today, a little bit of a different guest. We've got DraftKings CEO, Jason Robbins. Uh, yeah, Jim, Dan, I was a little surprised. It's a good get, DraftKings, big public company. But I didn't realize they're they're neck deep in crypto. Uh, I know you know the company really well, but give us, what, what are they about, right? They're sports betting with now a layer of crypto. Is that right? Yeah. And what's funny, of course, you're right. I mean, I covered them since the beginning, uh, back when I was at Fortune in 2015, when DraftKings and FanDuel kind of exploded onto the scene. They, at the time, would always say, well, they weren't a betting company. You know, their product was DFS, Daily Fantasy Sports. And they ran through the gauntlet with legal and regulatory challenges from politicians who were saying, your fantasy contests are illegal gambling operations. And they were saying, no, 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 it's just fantasy. It's fantasy sports. You guys know fantasy sports. We're not offering betting. And then, of course, fast forward to 2018, the Supreme Court struck down PASPA, which allowed states to legalize sports betting in their state, and dozens have. And now, of course, they get to say, okay, now we are offering betting. We're off to the races. And now they're also beginning to implement NFTs into a lot of what they do. Illegal uh, betting, you know, this sounds familiar. <laughs> Problem with regulators? Where have we heard this before? It'll be neat. To, yeah, we can get into all that with him. And also, I want to ask him, too, about it seems every athlete and their dog is now into crypto. And I want to find out, do they really know crypto or is that just their agents? But I know uh, Jason runs with Tom Brady and SBF and all those people, so I'm sure he'll have some answers for us. Um, should we get into it? Yeah. And, uh, and of course, you're right. He, he runs with those guys. I just saw him recently at the Bahamas conference. So maybe I'll start by asking about that. Maybe we can try to break a little news because I want to push him on whether they'll be taking crypto as payment. Uh, but, but let's bring him on. Let's bring on Jason Robbins. Okay. Jason Robbins of DraftKings GM. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's dive in this way. DraftKings, of course, is the fantasy sports and sports betting company, publicly traded, not necessarily a crypto company. And yet you and I just ran into each other at the big FTX crypto conference in the Bahamas. And it was fun to see you there. I guess I'd start us off by asking, did you enjoy it? Was that your first crypto conference? And are you now going to be a staple of the crypto conference circuit? That was my first crypto conference. I did enjoy it. You know, I will probably attend more of them. So lots of interesting things going on. Also, you know, lots of people uh, that, you know, come to those conferences that that are good to meet with and hear, um, you know, what they're working on, see if there's any potential opportunities to work together. So um, I thought it was a great conference and I'll I'll definitely be doing more of it, especially if they're in the Bahamas. Right. Well, Bahamas. Yeah. Would you say, Jason, that you're now a crypto guy? Are you into crypto? I've been into crypto for a while. So personally, and obviously DraftKings has started to, with our NFT marketplace, make some, uh, you know, strides in crypto as well. But I've been into crypto for years now. 
Jason, um, I, I think uh, that's interesting to hear you're in for crypto for a long time. I think most people know you as kind of the sports guy. So what I like to ask people, what was your first crypto moment? Do you recall the moment when you discovered it or became interested in it? Well, when I first heard about it was in, you know, around 2013. And I wish I had developed more interest in it then because there was a lot of upside there that didn't exist later. But, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I'd heard from some friends who were early adopters. And then just as time went on, you know, more and more people were talking about it. And I said, all right, I gotta, I gotta figure out what's going on here. And at first it was just, let me open a Coinbase account and, you know, I'm going to try to buy some Bitcoin, some Ethereum. And then it developed into really just reading up on, you know, blockchain as technology, you know, diving into some other sorts of, you know, altcoins and interesting projects. Uh, around a year and a half ago, I started to become interested in NFTs. That was largely due to my co-founder, Matt, who, who got into the, the crypto punk craze and convinced me to start looking at it. And in July of last year, I bought my first NFT. It was a crypto punk, and I bought a lot of NFTs since then in the next <laughs> few months um, and really love that. Um, so, you know, it's been a lot of different things, some of which have been, you know, personal interests, some of which have been well, I guess it's all on some level personal interest, but I've also put more time in in some areas because I want to learn about it um, for more of like purposes of applicability to DraftKings. So there's things that like maybe in a different world, I would have just like said, hey, there's a lot of smarter people I could just go to and say, what do you think I should do here? But I actually spent the time, as did my co-founders and still are spending the time really digging in and like doing it and learning it ourselves and not to make money. I mean, you know, like been able to make a little money, but the amount is not really even justifiable given the amount of time that I've spent on it much more um, to learn about it and to see if there's really two um, vectors of applicability for DraftKings. One is, you know, we don't want to uh, have our eyes closed and get disrupted in any way. So I think any new technology, I want to make sure I understand it well enough to, to see uh, around the corner and tell if there's potential to get disrupted and make sure we get there first and we're investing in it early enough. A simple analogy to that are all the brick and mortar stores that, you know, thought that internet wasn't necessarily a big enough thing until it was too late. And um, so, you know, we never want to be that. We always want to make sure that any changing technology or consumer trends or both um, we're out ahead of. And then and, and we have been. We were first, even though we weren't the first to launch a daily fantasy website, we were the first to mobile. You know, we were out ahead of sports betting even before the Supreme Court chain, uh, ruled in favor of striking down PASPA. Uh, Jason, I just want to jump in and ask, Dan's going to take us into what DraftKings is doing, but that Bitcoin you bought back in 2013, did you hold on to it? Well, I didn't buy it, unfortunately, in 2013. I had heard about it for the first time in 2013. I didn't start buying until I think 2016 or 17. And at that point, it was still relatively cheap, but I also didn't have a whole lot of money then. So I actually ended up doing better from like a pure gain standpoint on the, the crypto I bought in 2020. And of course, we have to press you further. I mean, what else have you bought since? You mentioned the CryptoPunk. That's a big purchase. But any other coins? I mean, what's in your bag? Oh, I have five CryptoPunks. I have two Bored Apes, four Mutant Apes. I have a lot of other stuff that I took a flyer on that tanked like cryptodes and stuff like that, but I'm just holding them. I mean, I really don't sell much. I'm more of like a just buy and hold person. Um, 
it's a little different than Matt. Matt kind of always trading in and out of them. And, you know, he'll be like, oh, you know, the, the apes market is high. I'm going to trade out of that and move into CryptoPunks and stuff. Like, that's not really what I do. I more just buy and hold. And then I have a number of other projects that I think are interesting and some of which are, you know, with people that I'm uh, friends with or involved with, such as Gary V. You know, bought some V friends, um, things like that. So, you know, I have a, a, a Night Goddess and World of Women that I bought before it mooned, which is nice. And that's also why I hold like some stuff I've held just like did nothing for a while and then just took off and others went the other way. But, you know, overall, I think it's been uh, more upside than downside for me. Do you find, Jason, and of course, we want to get into DraftKings and all the crypto related things the business is doing. But since we're talking NFTs, you're a good person to ask. You know, Jeff and I have been asking all of the crypto exec guests about their take on the NFT speculative bubble, especially the PFP, the profile picture projects. And you said you have some punks and apes, but you're a great person to ask since you're, you know, not a crypto exec per se. Do you find that a lot of your friends, especially when it comes to, you know, big, big time sports fans who maybe aren't in crypto, have they asked you about NFTs and have they tried to get you to explain it? Because a lot of people still, and I fully understand it. I don't blame these people. A lot of people, they just kind of can't still wrap their minds around the idea of NFTs. They just can't get past, you know, it's a digital image and someone else could screenshot it even if they don't own it. What do you say to, to those friends when they ask you about it? First of all, that can be said of anything. I can get a copy of the Mona Lisa that looks just like the Mona Lisa, but it's not the Mona Lisa. So, you know, I think that there is value to authenticity and hopefully that's just not debatable. Everybody can agree with that. So the whole, I can screenshot it and you know, it's not, you know, the same thing. Like, hopefully everybody understands that. I think underneath that, people are like, I just don't get why that's valuable. And what I say to that is, why is a trading card valuable? Why is a piece of art valuable? There's different reasons. But for whatever reason, it appeals to people. The CryptoPunk I have, the first one I bought, I have a picture of it on my wall. I like it. It appeals to me. It's not just, hey, I bought this because I think that it's you know going to go up in value. It's actually something that I think is cool and I like it and I never plan on selling it. So, I mean, there's like, it's personal taste and there's only 10,000 crypto punks. I have a zombie. I think there's only 88 of those. So I'm like, you know, if there's more people that think it's cool and want it than want to sell, then that's where the supply demand curve lands. If there's more people that, you know, decide, hey, I just bought this because I thought it was going to go up in value and Now the NFT market is, you know, like it feels like we're in a little bit of a downturn, but it all comes down to like, why'd you buy it in the first place? And if you bought it because it's something you want to own and you think it's cool, just like the same reason you'd buy a trading card. And sure, you're also hoping that as a collectible, it gets more and more popular over time and increases in value. But it's not just that. I think the people who are just buying it to, you know, purely make a financial gain, that's not a good reason to do it. You know, it's same thing with art. Like, I wouldn't buy art just because I think it's going to appreciate. Of course, I want it to appreciate if I buy art, but I'm going to buy art I think is cool that I like. And you may not like the same art. So you may have no concept of why I would think that's a cool painting and I paid what I paid for it. So that's the best way to describe it. Some people just don't want to hear an explanation that makes sense. They've just already convinced themselves that 
this is all just a big speculative bubble and there's nothing more to it. So sometimes that makes it hard to convince people. But those who are truly open-minded, I think, get what I'm saying when I explain it that way. Jason, I've got a related question. I sort of watch the space from a distance. I'm not as versed in pro sports as you and Dan, but I'm astonished at the number of athletes who are out here like endorsing crypto or getting their hands dirty with NFTs and stuff. And what I want to know is how many of these athletes are actually, you know, in it themselves? I mean, I know some of the early ones like the NBA, Spencer Dinwiddie and stuff were all in and Tom Brady obviously has got a company around it. So they know it. But, you know, the other day I saw, you know, my favorite baseball player, Vlad Guerrero. He's doing something with NFTs and I'm really not sure he knows the damn thing about them and so how much we see these kind of player and team sort of deals are they actually involved or is it just the agents going hey sign this you'll make some more money so at the like level of athletes and teams you know what is the knowledge there do you think you know you're right it varies there are athletes and that, that absolutely are just like you know some agents come into them and saying hey i can make you some extra money and they're like i like money and that's as far as it goes and then there's others that are really into it um, and then there's some that are in between. So it varies for sure. You know, we definitely care a lot about making sure that people who buy NFTs on the platform feel like they're getting value. And I think where the market's going, there needs to be increasingly more utility. It's not just a collectible anymore, at least for a lot of people, it's it's going to become that. Some people, I think it's, it's it's just a collectible, but other people are expecting more. And so I think it's going to become increasingly important to have engagement. I think it's different when it's just a collectible. Vlad Guerrero, to use your example, and I, I don't know how engaged or not engaged he is, but if he's just thinking of it as like a trading card, like, okay, how engaged does he have to be? They make a trading card, people buy it, you know, packs, whatever. If you know it's something where the buyer expects to have some sort of unique connection to something in his world, then that's different. So I think that it's becoming maybe more important is the wrong word, but like more valuable to have engagement from from the actual, you know, athlete or, or whoever the, the subject of the content is, for sure. And Jason, I mean, that's a great segue to talk about uh, DraftKings and Autograph. So before we talk about, you know, Autograph NFTs being sold on DraftKings, just talk about you being involved personally, because when this is, of course, we're talking about Tom Brady's NFT platform, which is called Autograph for listeners who don't know. And when they first announced, they had a slew of impressive names, you know, uh, Eddie Q from Apple, executives from Spotify, and you and your two DraftKings co-founders as advisors to the board. And that was more of just a personal thing. And then, of course, it became an official deal with DraftKings. But talk to us about when that was launched. I mean, how involved were you? What has being an advisor to it really meant day to day? And what's Autograph up to that, that differentiates itself from the other NFT platforms out there? Well, Autograph was started by Tom Brady, who we have a, a, a great relationship with, as well as uh, Richard Rosenblatt, those two co-founders. Richard is um, an advisor to DraftKings and has previously served on the board. So um, we know the people involved very well. And we think that, you know, just like any company, great people are, are you know, going to put any new startup, any new company in a chance to succeed, uh, in a position to succeed more than people that, that don't care or aren't great. And so I think having, you know, those two involved gives their autograph a really great chance to build something special. And, you know, just like any company that's new, they're still growing and learning, too. So um, what was great about the partnership was we were able to, you know, help each other. They, they were at a time where we had, you know, we felt like we didn't have the content factory. They were able to create the content factory 
we were the platform and are the platform. So we have, you know, customers, we have uh, technology, we have, you know, payments and other sorts of things, and we're continuing to add and build more features. And, you know, that's really, I think, why it worked um, and has been working. And, you know, now what we're trying to do is, you know, take all the experiences that we've had with Autograph and both help them, you know, get through data and other interesting things we can share smarter about what types of content their customers are responding to, as well as, you know, figure out a roadmap for us to add other content. We've you know, added more partners recently. We've also released some of our own content that is tied directly to utility in our game, in our uh, uh, sports betting and fantasy products. So think you own an NFT, you get special, you know, odds and things like that. And then we also have announced some deals like our deal with the NFL Players Association. We're going to be creating NFT-based fantasy football games. So there's a lot we're doing there and Autograph's a big part of that. And I think Autograph's, you know, specific area that I think they are working to, to continue to do more and more in is in the sort of digital collectibles realm. Um, they are also finding ways to add utility, which is good. And then there's other things, like I mentioned, the NFLPA deal, which is you know, totally different. That's fantasy games um, using NFTs. So um, I think that that's the way we kind of think about the ecosystem. And it's such a fast evolving place, right? Like, who knows where the biggest markets and the biggest pockets of value are going to be created? Is it in game-based, um, you know, NFTs play to earn? Is it in purely collectible or profile picture type projects? It's so early and it's changing so quickly that we're just trying to kind of make sure we have best of breed partners and then in some cases doing it ourselves in in each of those pockets so that we can kind of let the data tell us what customers are finding most enjoyable and where we want to you know triple down and where we want to make some changes hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, Jason, I'm curious, when it comes to fantasy leagues, I've been in, you know, one or two over the years, but what is the role of crypto in that? You know, for some of the other realms, I can see it, but what is the, you know, to what degree are, are fantasy leagues using crypto and how and why? The idea is that it's a very similar game to what traditional fantasy sports would be, but to play certain players, you have to own their NFTs, and then there's varying forms of those, so you know, common cards all the way up through, you know, rare versions of cards that have different benefits that they bring to the, the person playing them in the game. And, you know, a lot of it is just taking two things that, that people like, fantasy and, you know, games and, you know, games of skill and mixing it with NFTs and collectibles, which is something that there's actually a lot of overlap in. If part of why we got into this space to begin with is we had done some survey research and found that quite, you know, there was quite a bit of overlap between NFT early adopters and people that were on our platform playing our fantasy games and betting and stuff already. So it's really just taking two things that we know people like um, and putting them together and we'll see how it goes. 
Well, and to piggyback off Jeff's question, I mean, the real specific question that I think a lot of people have, Jason, is at what point DraftKings might transact in crypto, you know, and you guys have a couple times offered NFTs as prizes for fantasy contests. We wrote that up. That was interesting. But I feel like the inevitable next step is, you know, your entry fees into contests could be placed in Dogecoin. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, certainly people want it. It's an evolving regulatory picture. So different products in different states might be, you know, more likely to be doable earlier. And, you know, some may, may be out of our control. We can't do right away. Um, but, you know, you're starting to see some momentum there. There have been a couple of states that have said, hey, you can do this for sports betting. Certainly within the marketplace, we should be able to do that. So, you know, we're working towards it. And we want to make sure, I mean, one of the things that's important to us is, as you know, there's still, you know, crypto is still a little bit of a, an evolving space. And there's protections that people don't necessarily have in the crypto space that we think are important and that, you know, we feel like in order to introduce something like that to our platform, we need to go a little bit beyond maybe where some others in the market have gone because there's an expectation, you know, from our customer that we do so. So I think there's a little bit more of a lift for us because of that, but it's not something we don't think we can do. And we're just trying to kind of figure out when and how the best approach. Yeah. Jason, your comments about integrating crypto for payments reminds me that, you know, the crypto industry, of course, has had a hell of a time with Washington, D.C., regulators all over their back and a lot of frustration. But, you know, who else has had that experience? I think the sports gaming industry, you ran that gauntlet before the crypto industry did. So, you know, and came out safe on the other side with a big assist from the Supreme Court. But, you know, tell me what you see in terms of Washington, D.C. and regulators. Is it going to get worse before it gets better? Are you interacting with them? What advice do you have? For the crypto industry in dealing with DC? You know, I've definitely watched it. You know, we're not really actively participating in it. And the reason is it's not our place to do so. I think we're, you know, we're obviously a stakeholder, but, you know, to position ourselves as like a leader in the crypto space would be, wouldn't be right, wouldn't be genuine. So we're letting companies like Coinbase and FTX and others, you know, really lead the charge there because those are, that's their business. And what we're trying to do is, if asked, you know, obviously happy to offer advice and to, you know, refer people to others who've been helpful to us along the way. I do think there's a lot of parallels, you're right. And I think that hopefully, because, you know, as both a business side, but also just as a consumer and as a person, I want to see crypto do well. I don't want to see, you know, the government destroy it. So, or, or maybe destroy is too strong a word, but I, I, want, I don't want to see it get treated in a way that that makes it so that a lot of the things that blockchain and crypto could eventually help solve in the world are not able to be solved because of restrictions put in place. So, you know, wherever we can be helpful offering any sort of, um, for what it's worth, any sort of like, you know, experiences that we've had and any things we've learned from that, we're always happy to. And there've been some in the space that have, have taken us up on that and asked. And so, that's something that we're always happy to do, but it's also different too. I mean, you know, there are some ways that are just kind of like standard best practices and how you deal with regulators and things like that. And then there's other things that are very specific to their space that are going to play out differently. One example of that is for us, you know, it was much more state by state. For crypto, it seems to be more federal. So, you know, that's a key difference. Now that could change, but as of now, that seems to be where it is. That's, that's interesting you say that because, as Jeff said, you've kind of already been through the regulatory ringer and specifically another parallel between 
what you guys went through, the, the DFS, daily fantasy sports industry in 2015, 2016, 2017, and what crypto has been through is that in both cases, New York State has been a real standout and a thorn. I mean, for you guys, it was the former attorney general there. And just in our last episode, we had Jesse Powell, the CEO of Kraken, which is one of the earliest Bitcoin exchanges. And they famously were the first company that way back in 2015, so actually right around when you were going through it too, they responded to New York's bit license, which was the new crypto regulatory framework at the time. They said, well, that's it. We'll just leave New York. We won't do business in New York. And so we were talking to Jesse about that. I mean, any kind of comments specific to New York and, and why it always seems to be New York that that's the toughest to, to new technologies? I mean, I don't know if I would say that. I think New York's a big state with a lot of, you know, Wall Street's there. There's a lot of like, you know, New York is the center of a lot of things in our country um, and, you know, really in the world. I think the result is sometimes they play, uh, the state plays an outsized role relative to what maybe, you know, a state, um, you know, other states might play. But, you know, I think New York is also a place that gets finance, that gets, you know, the needs that some of, you know, blockchain can solve. So I'm hopeful that it gets to a good place. But you know, we've learned this too. Sometimes the, the way you get there isn't always pretty, but I think the end outcomes, um, as long as those are the right outcomes, then I think it's okay. And um, you try to do the best you can not to, you know, have as damage done, but sometimes it's out of your control. So, you know, we, we learn early on, just cooperate with regulators, just, you know, don't, don't try to fight it, just be a part of the process and do the best you can to explain it. And, most of the time, they want to get it right, so they'll listen, and it's just about engaging in the right way. Yeah, Jason, we're, we're talking about sort of the parallels between uh, you know, sports gaming and crypto when it comes to regulation. But I thought of another parallel, advertising. I remember a few years ago, we just saw everywhere, like, you know, DraftKings and their competitors, you know, the ads were everywhere. This year, we've seen the same thing in crypto. You know, we're seeing, you know, companies buy the Miami Heat arena. I think that was Coinbase. And then FTX has put its logo on every umpire. And then, you know, Crypto.com, who no one had heard of, is dropping $50 million. But I'd like you to tell us, you know, candidly, since your industry has seen this before, is this money well, well spent? You know, do you think these, these companies are being smart in throwing tens of millions of dollars around like this? Or do you think it's a mistake? I think that there's different purposes and without understanding more of the strategy behind it, it's hard for me to say. For example, there's a difference between I'm trying to optimize my marketing dollars purely for response versus I'm trying to embed myself with key constituencies that help me you know, navigate regulators and help me matter to uh, other stakeholders that you know, might be helpful on the way, legitimize the brand and just different things like that, that, you know, without totally understanding the strategy behind it, it's hard for me to say like good or bad decisions. Um, but, you know, I think that it makes sense that one, you know, there's competition, right? And so there's going to be more advertising and funding is coming into these companies. A lot of them are making a lot of money. And then secondly, I think that there is, because of the regulatory backdrop, a desire to, you know, create more legitimacy, to be something associated with mainstream America, which, you know, having connections to sports and other things do that. So I think that it's probably, you know, a little bit of both. And um, uh, if that's the if that's the case, then I think, you know, there's probably some good decisions being made and probably some that they'll regret. And um, Just like we did, you have to kind of try different things to figure out what works and what doesn't. Well, and 
I would piggyback off that by asking, you know, more directly, it worked for you guys, right? At least in terms of instant brand awareness, recognition, when you guys and, and your competitor at the time, FanDuel, were kind of flooding the airwaves with, with ads, you know, live games, radio, podcasts, it at least worked in that it made you guys a household name. And it seems to me that that's what the crypto exchanges are going for, even to the extent of, you know, offering deals at first, just like you guys offered promo codes. But what's hard for me to imagine, and I've asked uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, I know you know him, the FTX CEO, about this. You know, it's hard for me to picture a sports fan who isn't in crypto, goes to a game, sees the FTX logo and says, hmm, yeah, I've been thinking about buying some Bitcoin. And then they go home and they sign up for FTX and buy some crypto on it. Well, maybe. I mean, but maybe it's somebody that's into crypto and is using a competitor. So, you know, it, there's there's different reasons. But like I said, there's also just the notion of if there's going to be two or three or four or five or whatever the number is, big brands in the space of, you know, exchanges specifically, and you want to make sure you're one of them. The analogy you made to us and FanDuel is a good one, I think. So, you know, like you said, these Sam, smart guy. I'm sure that he knows what he's doing. And it's not to say that there won't be anything that he won't say, hey, like now that the data's in, I probably should have done this and not that. Of course, I mean, every company goes through that. But I think strategically, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, Jason, I'd like to ask you, as you sort of navigate these very complicated environments of crypto and sports, who do you meet who inspires you? I mean, who do you think, which projects or people do you look to to sort of navigate the future? You know, I know you're a, you're a Boston-based company. You've got some you know, very important uh, crypto companies in Boston, like Circle and so on. So either in your hometown or beyond, name a couple uh, people or companies that you look to for inspiration. Yeah, there are a lot of really great companies in Boston. I don't want to, you know, pick one or the other, but there's some good ones here. I think a great one is FTX, just who we were talking about. I mean, what they built, what Sam's built in such a short period of time is remarkable. And this desire to just continue to, you know, grow, continue to find new ways to do it, to be smart about how he's handling his approach to, you know, embracing regulators and spending real time there, I think is, you know, for for such a young company and a young entrepreneur, it's really impressive. And you know, like I said, I'm sure there's a lot of, of people that don't get it. But I think that, you know, what he's doing at a strategic level makes a lot of sense to me. And I think the overall approach is going to work. So, you know, um, he's a great one. I also think Brian Armstrong at Coinbase, and, uh, I mean, you know, they've really just been pioneers. And um, I know they get critiqued for a lot of things. And I get that. But People don't give them enough credit that they they were by far more than anyone the largest force in creating the industry in the United States. You know, they deserve a lot of credit for that. And they've done a lot of really interesting things to bring, you know, more mainstream people in. So there that's another organization, another person that I've never met Brian. I've met Sam many times, but I've never met Brian. But I'm very um, you know, I think it's, it seems like he's a very impressive guy and certainly an impressive company question in the sports realm athletes or, or general managers who you think are kind of crypto visionaries well i think tom brady really gets it now you know he's somebody that you know he's still playing football he's obviously you know got a lot he's spending time on there but i think when he's done with that i could see him just because he's somebody that spends so much time studying and just you know watching film and i could see him just immersing himself even deeper in the space uh, you mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie earlier, really, really early kind of, you know, into the space. Just I was having conversations with Spencer about crypto before any other athletes that I knew of were talking about it. 
you know, so those are a couple that jump to mind. And obviously there's others that have gotten involved and I don't want to go through the laundry list. Um, but but there, there's definitely, I think a lot of what drives athletes sort of, you know, um, this desire to compete and to, um, you know, be a part of something. I think that that really, you know, resonates when they, when they uh, experience the crypto community that really resonates with that really like, I think is, is very um, similar to what people who are early in the crypto market, they want to compete, they want to be early pioneers and build stuff. And there's a strong sense of like a community and being part of a team, which is great too. And I think that appeals to a lot of athletes. Uh, this has been great, Jason. Let, let's wrap this way. I feel like one thing we've been circulating this whole time is, you know, seeing a lot of similarities between your industry and the crypto industry, which is why it makes perfect sense that that your company is edging toward this stuff. Let me ask one more question along those lines, and it's more about kind of narratives. You know, as Jeff and I know, uh, having covered crypto for so long, it's often so narrative driven. And even as it's gone so mainstream, I mean, more mainstream than it's ever been, we all know there are still so many people out there who just, they have this vague sense that crypto is scammy or Bitcoin is used for crime. It's used by hackers. They think NFTs are a scam and a fraud. And I know that you obviously for years have grappled with the same things with kind of the reputation when it comes to fantasy sports and of course, sports betting. What do you make of all that? I mean, when you look at crypto, what will cause those opinions that a lot of people still have to change? I think there's two things. One, um, and I'll, I'll make an analogy to the internet. One is like early on in any new technology, there are going to be people who just right away are like, this appeals to me, I'm into it. And then, you know, most others will be skeptics. Like that's just always how it works. And I think the other analogy I make to the internet is like some of that is fair. Early in the internet days, there weren't a lot of like mainstream ways to consume the internet. If I could log into a bulletin board system or like, you know, go to an FTP site, like, I mean, but like everything eventually centered around World Wide Web and it became like, you know, all the underlying technology was built around that. And then all of a sudden things like video and other, you know, that are more mainstream and easier to consume for the average person came about. Also from like a, you know, reputational standpoint, there is still scams all the time in crypto. There were that also early okay. in the internet days. Okay. I mean, listen, I still get emails from time to time from, you know, a uh, uh, prince of some country somewhere that just needs $5,000 and will give me his entire inheritance if I wire it to his Western Union account. So, you know, there's, there's, there's that. And I think there's a little bit of intimidation that comes with that. The norms around, as well as the third-party tools for protecting people from those things are, are, are not there yet. And on that note, I'll close with saying, the other thing I think that's fascinating about this, and it relates to that last point I was making, is in some ways, the types of things I'm describing to become mainstream fly directly in the face of decentralization. If you don't have some sort of centralized control, it's hard to protect people from themselves. And I do think there's a lot of people that are going to be intimidated to say, I can accidentally type in a wrong address and send my $10,000 NFT to somebody and I'm never getting it again. And there's no middleman in between that's stopping and making sure that I'm protected for that. Like the person who calls me five times to make sure the wire instructions haven't changed before they actually process the wire. Like There's none of that. And you need some sort of centralization to manage that. So it'll be really fascinating to see is, and I know the purists won't like this, but does there need to be some element of centralization that comes in that allows for some of the things that have to happen 
to make blockchain technology be more applicable to mainstream use cases, when and how does that happen? And how does that sort of affect the existing you know, purists that, that believe that anything other than 100% decentralization is a complete, you know, is scoffing in the face of what we're doing in the first place. So I'm going to be interested to watch that. I think much like the early days of mentioning the internet, I don't actually think there's yet something that everybody, whether that's, you know, a, a worldwide web, you know, website that you can watch video on. There's not, we're so early, right? We are like early 90s, late 80s internet right now still. Remember, that's still 10 years into the internet, 15 years of the internet. That's not like beginning. There is still so much time and so many things that need to evolve. And it's going to be exciting to watch. And I think a lot of the people that are skeptics, they should be now in some ways because it hasn't proven itself yet. But I see so many commonalities with other technologies that my money's on it becoming a big thing and having an effect in ways that people will not even appreciate or understand today, but absolutely will affect their lives down the road. It's a great answer. Uh, we feel the same way. And of course, the utopian idealizing of decentralization is a big topic in itself, topic for another day. But Jason, thanks so much for joining us. We'll have to uh, help you, help us get your friend Tom Brady on the GM podcast next. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Great seeing you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. This has been GM from Decrypt. I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Jeff Roberts. GM is a Decrypt podcast produced by Red Rock Music. Our executive producer is Red Yoakum. Our associate producer is Emma Martins. And our audio engineer is Enrique Inahosa. For more from Decrypt, go to decrypt.co or download our mobile app. Subscribe and review us wherever you listen, and we'll meet you back here next time for more crypto conversation. GM. GM.